Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. I'm delighted to be joined now by two of the county's biggest foodies. Tom Dorley is a food writer. He's also a former uh, judge on the restaurant, and he's <laughs> a great column in the Irish Times, or the I Sunday Times, even. Times, yeah. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Michael Kelly. He's from Grow It Yourself. You're very welcome to the programme. Thanks, Bobby. Um, Thank Tom, we might start with you. Um, there's a vibrant food scene here in Watford, really some is. of which I w- witnessed last night. Uh-huh. Um, and interesting enough, I went to, I was sitting at the start of the show, I don't think you were here. Yeah. I went to five restaurants at about before seven o'clock right. and all of them were full. Brilliant. Four of them were taking bookings. One of them was uh, put your name on the list and c- right. come back when we have a table. And the gentleman in McCleary's where it was told me that he was losing 300 bookings a week by using a traditional booking system. That's very interesting. So, and it brings me to the kind of that mm. no show and the rudeness oh, yes. and the disrespect yes. that people will show to people yeah. working hard in restaurants by just not by booking a table yeah. and not turning up. It beggars belief because many of those people who behave like that are in business themselves. And if somebody treated their business like that, how would they like it? Um, I mean, it's so easy, uh, you know, if you run into a problem with a booking, you know, just give a ring. Um, I mean, the worst part of it is, I believe, uh, anecdotally, that around Christmas, there are people who book three or four places, uh, meet for a drink beforehand, and then decide which one they're going to go to. Yeah, that's absolutely I mean, it's absolutely despicable. shocking. It's just so bloody yeah. rude. Um, and when you consider that, you know, making a living in food um, is hard enough at the best of times, but when you have customers who treat you like that, it's shocking. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. So back to the local scene then. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. talk first about the city and indeed the county. Yeah. And um, we heard... Um, uh, Jim Power earlier, we heard yeah. from the uh, chair of the business uh, the business uh, community telling us that, you know, the Greenway, the connection of Dungarvan, yeah. the city, that the county seems to have yes. a much better infrastructure yes. uh, and being connected by lots of things than, than was traditional. Yeah, uh, but, I, you know, I think there's more to it than that. because and, and I should explain, I live just over the border in County Cork, so I'm not going to uh, please my neighbours by saying, well, my immediate It's a bit like me being in Kilkenny. You, yeah. you, you, you walk a dubious exactly. line. Exactly, but I, I, I agree with, I think it was William Makepeace Thackeray who said that the Blackwater Valley is the best part of Ireland. Now, I'd extend that to the county of Waterford because when you think about it, Waterford has everything. Yeah. Mm. It's got mountains, it's got the Copper Coast, it's got this fantastic, vibrant city here, and it has the most wonderful landscapes and people. Now, I believe that Waterford City punches way above its size in terms of food. Um, it, dangerous of me to compare it to Cork, but Cork is a very, very big city. But per head of population, I'm you know, willing to wager that Waterford has more in the way of food in the city. I'm thinking of wonderful restaurants like um, Everett's, like yeah. like um, Union uh, Wine Bar. As I was coming in, I met Morgan there, from there, who has the most extraordinary collection of wines. I mean, almost non-commercially brilliant yeah. uh, in that it reflects her real enthusiasm and 
knowledge of that sort of area and great food uh, to, to go with it. Uh, you've got Momo, very different style. Um, again, very, very local food. You've got Loco out by Ardkeen stores. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. You, you can't throw a donut without hitting a good place to a eat. Blah. Or, sorry, a blah. A blah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Michael Kelly, you're very welcome <coughs> to the programme. I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, you seem to be a man who arrived with a vision and at a time when I suppose the world was ready for you in terms of grow it yourself and encouraging people to do exactly what you say. Uh, tell us a bit about that day when you first had uh, the moment with a clove of garlic uh, <laughs> to where the, where the movement has come to today. Yeah, well, it, so it did start with that. I suppose my, my personal journey to growing food started with that, finding some Chinese garlic and, and sort of just being, you know, shaken out of my complacency, I suppose, about where my food was coming from and starting to grow my own food then as a result. And as they say, there's no no zealot like a convert. So I, I um, just got really into it and I suppose saw the impact that it had, like obviously the immediate kind of health benefits and, and um, you know, saving money and all of that. But I think more importantly, it it kind of changed all of my behavior around food. And, and we, we know from the research we've done since that actually that's quite a common experience for people that they start growing some food and it might only be 5% of the food they eat, but it changes the other 95% yeah. and they adapt much more sustainable behaviors around food. So we started GOI in here in Waterford in 2008, so 15 years ago. Um, and today we, we, I suppose we've got global reach in terms of our kind of media and advocacy work, but we run campaigns and programs to help people to grow food in, in homes and schools, communities around the world. Um, and we have our, our kind of urban farm and, and cafe out the road here in Grow HQ, which is the kind of, you know, the home of the movement and a, yeah. and a model of a more, more sustainable food system. And, and growing your own now has come relatively mainstream in that there are people even even i put myself in that category who would never have grown anything but i have my hydroponic uh machine that i got a few years ago and i've got all my own herbs now and i i nurture it i absolutely every day i go home and i look and see what has grown needs or how, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, and it's really simple it's a small little thing in the corner but it has 24 slots and i've got coriander i've got different parsley's chives everything that that we need and then we put the bigger uh, plants like rosemary and sage out in the garden. So mm. all our herbs are all grown yeah. in a tiny little area. And I would never do anything different now. Yeah, it's amazing. I think, I think, and once you start, it's one of those things that sort of, it gets its, its claws here. And I think what, what keeps people coming back, like it's a really accessible piece of climate action as well. I think all of us are looking to do things in our lives that are a bit more sustainable. And some of those big picture changes, like changing your car and your, your heating system, they're not so accessible. So I think it's something we can all do. But I think what keeps people coming back is the, is the taste. Like I think for a lot of the food we eat now is a, it's a pale imitation of the real thing yeah. you know, because of the distribution and, and transport and coming from the other side of the world and being out of season and so on. So I think the fact that you're eating food that's at its most delicious and nutritious is why people come back to it year after year then. Tom, in terms of the, the, the sector generally, um, we've heard a lot of people talk about 
difficulties in attracting, retaining, mm. uh, keeping staff, um, mm. people lost to other industries maybe yeah. uh, because of things they changed to do during COVID. Do you fear at all for the sector with yeah. VAT, race, VAT rates, yeah. uh, insurance? Like it just seems to be a litany yeah. of, 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 of headwinds that, that, that yeah. Yeah. individual establishments actually face. Yeah, I mean, it, it's never been easy to make a living in the restaurant sector. Uh, it's probably harder than ever at this stage. Um, and it's extremely difficult to get skilled staff. I mean, I would say to young people, if you have the energy and the enthusiasm and the interest, you know, become a chef. Because you'll never be unemployed. They are like yeah. hen's teeth. Yeah. Okay, the money varies. It's a young person's game. There's no doubt about it. It's physically very demanding, and it's demanding in terms of you know hours and so forth. They are somewhat um, antisocial. But you will never want for a job. And also, you can go on from chefing to perhaps food production or something. Uh, do, do, you know. do, you, do you do you struggle with the argument of paying people properly? giving them good conditions and I suppose that price ending on the customer's plate where somebody yeah. says, sorry, mm. I don't want to pay 50 euro yeah. for a steak, uh, but I don't want to see, mm. you know, the kitchen staff being paid Absolutely. 12 euros yeah. an hour. Yeah, I mean, there is, uh, there is a tension, but I think there is a common thread running through really good restaurants and that is that they do look after their people well and they do retain them. Um, very often that comes down to the personality and character of the, the, the head chef, the chef patron perhaps. I'm thinking of um, uh, people like Nevin Maguire, yeah. you know, who, who's, who's, whose team, uh, you know, worship him. And quite rightly, in, in my view too, he's a very charismatic and very caring person. He's also a grafter. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, hard it's grafter. hard work. Yeah. It is definitely hard work. And uh, I remember years ago when uh, Joanne and I would be having dinner parties and uh, uh, people would say, you know, you should really open a restaurant. And I'd say, I'm not <laughs> completely insane. I'm a bit eccentric, but I mean, that way lies madness. You know, but uh, you know, speak, speaking of growing your own, I sat down and felt something sticking into me and I realized I have my secretaries <laughs> in my back pocket. A fairly serious <laughs> looking uh, weapon there. Very serious. Armed and dangerous. Comes, Tom Dorley comes, he, he comes equipped with that. <laughs> Thing. Last word to you, Michael. I know you're, again, uh, always promoting uh, the cause, uh, the movement. Um, you've brought in, and you're very generous. I see all our guests here in Reginald's Tower yeah. nibbling away. Um, you've given me something here. What am I eating? Because I'm just going to so, taste it here. So that's a beetroot, a beetroot brownie, um, which is one of our one of our top-selling uh, desserts out of OHQ. And because it has beetroot in it, it's one of your five a day as well, which is good. <laughs> uh, beetroot's a super easy thing to grow. It's a, like absolutely amazing veg, really good value for space, super healthy for you. Um, so it's, well, it's a great way to start with, and they're, they're absolutely delicious, yeah. Well, listen, you're both inspirational characters. I've talked to you all day. Unfortunately, I don't have the time. But a big round of applause for Tom Dorley and Michael Kelly. <laughs> Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.